0: I want you to look at the person sitting next to you, look at them and say, I love you and God does too. Now look at the other person sitting beside you and say the same thing. There you go. Brothers got it going on down here, don't they? It is just good to be together this morning, good to see you, good to worship with you, uh, it's just always good to be together as the family of God. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Esther chapter 4. Esther chapter 4, as we continue in our summer sermon series of my favorite Old Testament stories. And this one comes uh, from Madison Tedford and the story of Esther this morning. And, and I'm, I'm glad that we get to spend some time with it. Before we get into our lesson, let's go to God in prayer together, all right? God, we just thank you for being able to be in your presence today. We thank you for uh, the love that comes uh, from you, the grace and the mercy uh, that flows from you, God. We thank you for being the great I am. Uh, We are just so humbled to be in your presence this morning, God. Now help us to open our hearts uh, to your word. Help us to open up our lives to your service so that whatever comes our way, whatever challenges, whatever opportunities are before us, that we'll be willing to say, God has put me here and I can serve him. We pray that your spirit moves in us and convicts us this morning. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Well, Let's jump right into our lesson this morning. I want us to, to maybe set a little bit of background for the story of Esther from, for where we pick up in chapter 4. The bulk of our time is going to be spent looking at some thoughts and ideas from chapter 4, in particular the passage that Alex read for us Uh, Just a little while ago, but as we open up the book of Esther, we see that uh, God's people throughout the Old Testament, God's people spend a lot of time in different places, don't they? They spend some time in Egypt, they spend some time in the Promised Land. Then after they kind of, uh, you know, have some struggles there, they end up going into captivity in different times and different places. And as we open up into the book of Esther uh, around the year of 538 BC, we see that. Uh, Our our people of Israel. God's people are still uh, in exile, but they've been given the opportunity if they so choose that they could go back and rebuild their temple and and worship and kind of begin the the process of moving back um, into into their land. But something had happened, okay, and this makes sense. They had kind of gotten comfortable where they were. They have kind of gotten comfortable where they were, and their lives were there. Their uh, there, I guess you could say, a little bit of their history was there at this point, and a lot of them decided to just kind of stay where they were, a place that they were comfortable, a place that they recognized, a place that to them very much felt like home. And it's kind of against this background that the story of Esther unfolds. There's uh, the the story, and, and this is kind of a very quick abbreviated story, but there's all of a sudden a need for a new queen, and that's the avenue in which we get to meet Esther. We get to meet Esther from uh, the fact that there is basically a nationwide beauty pageant to get to see who's going to be the next queen for the king. And, and this little poor Jewish orphan, okay, I want you to just kind of put that into context for a second. Just think about that for a second. There's, there's this, this, this young woman who, as you think about her story, has everything stacked against her? Has everything stacked against her? Her, her, She's not well off. She doesn't have resources to do what a lot of other people do. She she lives with her uncle because her mom and dad are not in the picture. And if there was ever a a person that wasn't going to succeed in life because of their circumstances, it very easily and very much probably would have been Esther. Esther. But because of this all-of-a-sudden beauty pageant, Esther gets the opportunity to kind of come to the forefront of a nation and the forefront of God's story simply because of one thing, because of her beauty, the thing that God had blessed her with. that, That scene may be irrelevant to a lot of people, but God uses that simple You think about the uh, the other characters of the story. There's this man named Haman. He sees this this Jewish group of people from a completely different perspective. He's he's kind of a military guy, and he sees all these people. It's very similar, I think, to the story of of Egypt and the people of uh, of, of of Moses and and that generation. That now this is a great group of people, and if we don't do something cross. And so he comes up with this idea that I'm going to figure out a way to have all of these people killed. So you've got your, your, your main character in Esther, who's going to end up being the hero that's introduced, but then you're also introduced to the, the stressor of the story, the conflict of the story, is that there is this guy who is not of God, who sees the people of God as nothing but a great threat, and he's going to do whatever it takes to get these people out of their way. And in between these two individuals is a man named Mordecai, the uncle to Esther, the, the, the kind of the wise sage of the story, the guy that even though God doesn't speak in this story, you can definitely tell that God is using Mordecai. God is speaking to, through Mordecai to try to, to try to get his will, get his purpose brought to the forefront and get the story rolling. So with kind of that idea in mind, we, we start in chapter four. And in chapter four, we have this moment where, where Queen Esther is now queen. She's, she's, got, you know, she's gone from riches to, to royalty, or rather from rags to royalty. You know, and she's sitting in this, this great palace And Mordecai realizes everything that's going on. And Mordecai thinks, you know what? I know just the person to help us in this situation. And so so who does he begin to communicate with? He begins to communicate with Esther. And he starts sending her messages. And he says, look, you've got the power to stop everything that is going on. To stop everything that is going on. A lot of times in our life, A lot of times in our life, we are given opportunities to serve God in amazing ways. And we have what I call, and Esther does this too, we have what I call the Moses complex. The Moses complex. Wednesday night or Wednesday afternoon in class, we were talking about the life of Moses a little bit in our study of the Old Testament. And God had come to Moses in the form of a burning bush. And he says, hey, you're going to be the guy to deliver my people. You're going to be the guy that I'm going to send to Egypt and you're going to take care of everything. I'm going to be with you. And Moses starts rattling off all these excuses. I can't do it because of this. I can't do it because of that. There's no way I can accomplish it because I've got this issue. I can't accomplish it because I've got that issue. I'm not your guy, God. You may think I'm your guy, but I'm not your guy. And a lot of times we are looking at moments in our faith, moments in our journey with God, where God says, Hey, you're my guy. You're the guy that I've put in this place at this time to accomplish this thing. And we get nervous. And we say, I can't do that. I can't be that type of person. I can't lead in that way. I can't serve in that way. I can't teach in that way. I'm not your God. And I hope when we have those moments in our life, I hope that we all have a Mordecai. Because Mordecai's job throughout this whole story was to remind Esther, you've got everything you need so they're having this back and forth, and this is her first excuse. Then she instructed him to say to Mordecai, "This is the guy that's running back and forth." All the king's officials and the people of the royal providence know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned uh, summoned by the king, he has but one law that they become um, and spares their lives. But thirty days have passed since I was called to go to the Jew alone of all the Jews will... from another place. But... Time is this. Let's stop, brother. Right. Have ever been in a situation where you knew what you needed to do? but you were just scared to death to do it. Anybody ever been in that situation? You knew, hey, I know what I need to do. I know what the right thing to do in this situation is, but I'm scared to death to do what is right. What is right is not always what is easy, correct? What is right is not always what is easy. And Esther is put in a situation where she knows, I've got this influence, I've got this power, I've got this ability, but she says, Mordecai, I'm scared to death to go before the king. I'm scared to death. I'm scared to death to step out on faith. I'm scared to death to lead. I'm scared to death because I know what needs to be done, but I don't know if I can do it. And then Mordecai gets real personal. He says, don't think just because of your position, you're you're in a safe situation here. Don't think that just because you're sitting in the palace at the moment means that you're not gonna get figured out for who you are. But then he makes a very interesting statement. He says, and also don't think that, Just because you don't do it, that God's not going to find someone else who can. And I love that statement because it reminds me that God's plans don't depend on me. God's plans don't depend on me. God's will can be accomplished however God wants it to. But at the same time, I should find it as an honor that God would ever look at me and say, Matthew, I want you to serve me in my kingdom. I have a job for you. I've given you talents. I've given you abilities. I've blessed you with things. And I've done all of that because I have this thing that needs to be accomplished. And I think you're the guy for it. Now, I want you to think about your own walk for a moment. And just in your mind, I want you to think about some things with me. What talents has God given you? What talents has God given you? What life experiences has God given you? What struggles have you had in life that you once were just in the middle of that struggle, but because of God, you were able to overcome that struggle and leave that sin or leave that challenge behind? That's that's something that you can use in ministry to other people, those talents, those blessings, those things that God has given you. God has given each and every one of us a unique way to serve him. Now, what my job is many times as your minister, your elders, our deacons, our our, our Sunday school teachers, our biggest challenge many times is to get you to buy in to the fact that God's given me this, and I can use it to serve. Imagine what our church family would look like if every single one of us believed God's given me a, a, a talent to use to serve him. And then we took the step and said, I'm going to use it. God's given it to me and I'm going to use it. If every single one of us had that conviction, I know what God has given me. And I'm, you may be like, hey, I don't know how I'm going to use it, but I'm going to figure it out. Can you imagine the people that we would reach in this community? Could you imagine that? What if your life is just like that of Mordecai's where he says, maybe God has put you in this place for a time such as this, for this very moment. God has brought us to a very unique place as the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. We are at a a, a, a unique, I think, crossroads in, in the life cycle of our church family that if we truly lean in on God, and we truly believe that God is going to bless us and going to see us through, this church can grow in ways that I believe it's never grown before. We can save people through the message of Christ who have no hope in this life outside of that life in Christ. We have an opportunity to create a loving family that helps people overcome, helps them persevere, makes them feel like they're a part of something when maybe they've never been a part of anything in their entire life, but that only becomes we only become that type of church when we buy into the concept that God's given me a talent, He's given me an ability and he's going to be there with me when I use it. God has put each and every one of us in this place at this moment for a very specific reason. and I hope that you believe that and I hope that I hope that you will live and lean into that. how, how do we? I guess the question becomes, how do we become those type of people? How do we become the type of people that, that our focus is not just on ourselves and what we get when we come, but our focus is on God? How can I truly serve you? How can I truly serve you? Well, I think we see some things from Esther that, that will help us in that lifestyle. The first thing is this, we have to have a teachable heart. We have to have a teachable heart. Go back to verses 12 and 13. They're having this conversation back and forth. And verse 12 says, when Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. He sent back this answer. And and this is when he tells her, hey, look, you're not going to be saved. You're going to be involved in this one way or another, good or bad. You either can help deliver us or you're going to die. One of the two is going to happen. But Mordecai knew that Esther was the type of young lady that listened, that contemplated, and grew because of being willing to take advice. She was teachable. You know, it's easy for us, and and I think we have to be careful with this. It's easy for us sometimes to think that we've got all the right answers. I've got life figured out. I know of a preacher one time that told his eldership they were having a, a, a conversation about some different things and. And in this conversation, one of the elders goes, I think maybe we need to just just take some time and pray about this and all go study. And this preacher goes, no. He goes, I don't need to study this. He goes, I have all the answers. I have all the answers. And, And there's a couple of you grinning and kind of grimacing about that statement. But if we're not careful, we can be arrogant enough to think, I go to the right church, we do it the right way, we worship the right way, we pray the right way, we do all the right things. And what happens is when we convince ourselves that we do all the right things, we end up having a heart that's not teachable. And we can never be in a place in our faith that God can't reach down and teach us a lesson. Amen? We have to always be ready to grow. We have to always be ready to be open to the Spirit of God and let the Spirit of God convict us that maybe I've studied something or I've done something or I've said something or I've believed something that might be wrong. And God has, we, we, to, to truly serve God, we have to always have a teachable heart. We can't ever grow hard. We can't ever get to the point to where I think I'm doing it all right and there's nothing else that I need or that I can learn. We have to always have a teachable heart. And one of the ways that we have a teachable heart is we have to have a prayerful heart. We have to have a prayerful heart. Look at verses 15 and 16 in this story together. Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go gather together all the Jews... Who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days or nights, and I and my attendants will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law, and if I perish, I perish. Now, the word prayer is not used anywhere in that passage right there in that moment, but throughout Scripture, fasting is usually always connected to what other spiritual discipline? Prayer. If you're fasting without prayer, you're just hungry, okay? Fasting is a key component to taking that prayer from this level to the next level. And she says, for the next three days, what are we going to do? We're going to fast together. We're going to pray together. She's, 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 she's wrestling with this idea of, of, hey, look, you know, if I perish, I perish. That, that's so easy to just read through. But she knew that this decision to serve God could cost her her life. You know what, we are so blessed because that's not a challenge we face in America, is it? Well, we don't have to worry about this idea of if I perish, I perish. Now, we can get frustrated watching the news and listening to people talk about um, how, how disconnected we are and how behind the times we are, and it can get frustrating to listen to people talk about Christians but really and truly, in our, in our walks, most of us have never faced true persecution, have we? That doesn't mean it couldn't happen. doesn't mean it won't happen. But what do I do when those moments become difficult? I stop and I pray. And I fast and I pray. I connect through God and the Holy Spirit and Jesus in the most powerful way I can. And you see, when we're open to that type of prayerful lifestyle, then our heart is always going to be teachable. And when we have those two things together, then we are going to be willing to be bold for Christ. And that's exactly what she does here at the end of this little section. She says, if I perish, I perish. She said, I know that, hey, this could go all wrong for me but this is what God has called me to do. This is where God wants me to be. I'm ready to step out and serve. I'm gonna ask you a question that you have to answer for yourself. Are you ready to be bold for God? Are you ready to be bold for God? You see, bold means doing more than sitting in a comfortable air-conditioned auditorium more than sitting in a comfortable air-conditioned auditorium. It means more than just giving on Sunday financially. It means stepping out of this building and getting uncomfortable. It means using your talents and your time more maybe than your treasure and understanding that, hey, being bold is about being uncomfortable. And that's okay. That's okay. It's about stepping out of your comfort zone. It's about doing things that you've never done before. It's about being sacrificial before God. You see, it was so probably uplifting to all the Jewish people to know that their girl was in the palace. But it did them no good if her heart wasn't in there right with God. She wasn't willing to be bold. You see, what happens is when we're willing to be bold, God's power gets put on display in front of everyone. And that's one of the interesting things about this story that's different. The last two stories that we've had in this, in this, job. Uh, uh, Old Testament study uh, from Job and from Daniel, you very much see God's power on display. You see God having conversation. You see God doing things. Uh, by the end of Job, Job says, Behold, God is exalted in his power. Uh, in Daniel, they, they, uh, the king says, You know, let, let uh, the name of God be blessed forever and ever. You know, it's, God is seen and God is, is active. In this story, you never see. God being active. But never let the fact that God is invisible cause you to doubt the fact that God is invincible. Because when God has bold followers who are willing to use their talents and their blessings to do bold things, then God will always be present. His work will always be accomplished. We will always be blessed and his church will grow. Don't forget, though, that there has to be a connection between the bold plan of God and the bold people of God. They both have to be present for for things to work in a godly direction. There's so much more to the story of Esther, but as as I think about her story, that's what I walk away with. I walk away with the importance of boldness of being willing to say, hey, God, teach me what you need to teach me. Push me in the direction you need to push me. Don't let me be comfortable. Don't let me be comfortable. Don't let me settle for comfortable Christianity. Do you want me to tell you why the church is not growing in America like it was 30 years ago? Because of comfortable Christianity. That's not what we need to be about. Let us be a bold church and let us serve God in that way. Let's close with a word of prayer. God, I thank you for this time I thank you for the chance to just be in your presence. And I just pray, God, that we're able to turn this town upside down for you, that we're willing to to get out of the walls of this building, to make a difference, to, to, to share you in every conversation that we have through the week, to let our light shine. God, don't let that just be a song, let it be our lifestyle, to let our light shine everywhere we go, all around our neighborhood, God. God, I thank you for the story of Esther. It's so powerful to know that no matter where we come from, no matter what we face, no matter the challenges, as long as we lean in on you, you will use us to do great things in your service. Help us to be willing to do that. Help us to be willing to get out of our comfort zone and and to serve you in greater ways. I know that boldness does not happen overnight. I know that our light does not become a great beam But just by the flip of a switch in our life, sometimes that it's a journey, that it's a process. So as we've talked about, God, help us to be teachable. Help us to be willing to be convicted by things that you teach, not things of the world, but things that you truly teach. Help us to be willing to change when we're convicted and walk in a different way. Help us to walk in the light, God. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. Amen.